The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with John Thomas Flynn, who is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Ask the CIO, SLED edition on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, John Thomas Flynn. Welcome, everyone. Our guest today is Dennis Goulet, Commissioner at the Department of Information Technology and Chief Information Officer for the state of New Hampshire. So welcome, Dennis, to Ask the CIO SLED edition, our state and local show. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Before we get started on the IT issues and your accomplishments and priorities uh, and the headaches, too, in the Grand Estate, let's talk about your background. Prior to coming on, st- prior to coming into state government, we've had we've had some interesting interviews so far with uh, previous guests, Bob Sampson, uh, whom you know, New York CIO. He was in the tech sector with uh, with IBM, and uh, Delaware CIO James Collins, our new NASIO president. Believe it or not, he was an Air Force dental technician before he got involved in technology. Now DC's uh, acting chief technology officer Barry Krukoff. He was an early GIS guru and actually the chief data officer for the District of Columbia. And Ed Toner, who I spoke with uh, most recently from Nebraska, he worked with his governor at TD Ameritrade. Ameritrade. Uh, Dennis, what's your background before state service? Well, I spent most of my career working for software companies, actually, either in the commercial development side or in the IT side. So I've really done both sides of the house in terms of um, IT, um, and it really gives me a, a good good uh, balance as a CIO. I understand how the, the software industry works pretty well. It's always helpful, isn't it, when you've, uh, like, like I said, if you had some private sector experience before government? Indeed. Indeed it is. Uh, let's talk a little bit about New Hampshire's relatively unusual CIO position. Uh, with all the discussion uh, about the recent election, and there'll be 20 or more state CIOs that are expected to be appointed by their new governors in the next couple months, New Hampshire, uh, actually from my New England roots, I recall New Hampshire and only your na- neighbor Vermont share a unique distinction among other states in that you elect your governor to only two-year terms. Tell us about that. That must have a significant impact on your position and your appointment. Well, there, um, it's true that we, you know, we do have two-year terms, and it does, it does create a, a cycle, a, a never-ending cycle, because you're, you know, the you're always in, you know, the governor is always in campaign mode, really, because it takes a bit to get of traction to get things going. If the governor is looking to to continue as governor, or in is is the case, I was appointed by Governor Maggie Hassan, and she actually did a Senate run, and she's now in the in the Senate um, down in Washington. Um, again, you know, a lot of what's going on is, is more immediately colored by the political activities that that may be occurring. Um, one thing that's different in New Hampshire than Vermont, though, that's very unique in New Hampshire is that we have um, the commissioners here have four year appointments. And they are appointments that are considered contracts, and so that a change of governor does not imply a change in position in these um, what are are often called cabinet positions in other states. So when uh, Governor Sununu was elected a couple years ago for his first term, I was uh, a couple years in. I still had a couple two and I think two and a half years left of my four-year term. So. Um, I, I was not in question of, of, 
of being moved out of the position. So that's very unique in New Hampshire. It provides a lot of continuity in the senior positions in, in government. Well, I definitely want to come back to your uh, relationship with the governor because I believe it's one of the, the two most critical aspects for becoming a, su- a successful state CIO. But first, how did your background in the private sector, how do you think that prepared you for a role as, as uh, chief information officer? Well, I was really fortunate to work for some good companies that took um, you know, took um, development seriously. So I, I was afforded a lot of opportunities to learn things like public speaking and and um, you know concepts that are, that are you know executive level concepts like emotional intelligence and things like that. So so that type of experience in the private sector um, was really really helpful. Um, the other thing. As you go up in, in the ranks in, in, in leadership positions in the private sector, you can, you can get into positions that are very, um, you know, aggressively, aggressive communication styles occur, particularly at board levels or at senior meetings. You know, people aren't always nice to each other. That's actually helpful because you, you end up building a thick skin and, you know, things don't upset you and you take the long view on things. And certainly, um, certainly that's helped me a lot. Um, in moving into uh, state government. Dennis, I know from our crack research team here at Federal News Network that you spent more than two decades as a volunteer official for girls soccer in the Manchester, New Hampshire area. Uh, did refereeing did refereeing girls soccer teach you everything you needed to know about being a state CIO? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, refereeing soccer is scary uh, because you're in that position where a bad decision can affect the outcome of the match. Sure. So that's very similar to a CIO. Sometimes you're, you're looking at a set of, as CIO, I have two or three options, none of which are really great options. It's which one do we choose and how do we manage that option? So there are some parallels there for sure. Uh, the other thing that um, being a, a, a FIFA soccer official um, helped me with was that, you know, that clear and crisp decision-making. The, um, you know, you really have to make decisions quickly and on the fly, and they have to be good ones, and you have to be able to justify them. So it certainly was a great training, and it was the only way I could volunteer because I really didn't have the, the patience or the right demeanor to be a coach. So I was definitely, <laughs> I was definitely meant to be a referee. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, uh, back to your appointment by Governor Hassan that you mentioned, how did that come about? Was there some kind of nationwide search, or did you have some involvement in the political end, or just how did it come about? Well, it's it, it was a it's kind of a funny story. I I was looking for a job at the time when the um, the previous CIO had resigned, and it, it was interesting because I look at the other there were tons of great jobs in the Boston area. I live in New Hampshire, but most of my career I worked in the Boston area. But I wasn't getting that excited about them because it was stuff I had done before. So um, somebody let me know, hey, you know, the CIO job in New Hampshire's up for, you know, is going to be recruited. Uh, the, the, the CIO just resigned, and I was, boom, immediately got interested in it because it was so different. And, you know, kind of that scary challenge thing, which I, I really is, is motivating to me. So, so that was but the impetus to um, to pursue the job. So then I started trying to figure out who who I could um, who I could um, um, relationship wise um, work with to get my name in front of the governor. 
And so I work with our, our executive counselor, um, now Congressman uh, Chris Pappas. He was a counselor for my district in Manchester, New Hampshire, and he helped get my resume in front of the of Governor Hassan. And, and it also turned out that my, my mom is a political activist um, in New Hampshire. And if you're, a, if you're a Democratic woman running for office, she's probably going to help you, um, you know, give assistance. And, and so um, she actually, um, Maggie's chief of staff, Pam Walsh, used to laugh at me because she said, basically, your mother got you a job. So, <laughs> you know, at my age, in my 50s, and here I, here I am getting, having my mother get me a job. But that, that was a contributing factor for sure. Well, there are always, uh, there's always interesting stories behind these appointments. I know I have, I've had a few as well. Uh, let's talk about your, your IT governance model. It's a real, uh, a real area of significant interest to me over the years. And what I mean by that is your IT organization and how it's situated in the, well, in the state organization chart. Because I believe, along with the executive champion, in this case your governor, it's the other critical element for a successful CIO, having the right model. What was the model that you inherited and how has it changed under your and, of course, your governor's leadership? Well, the uh, one thing that's um, unique about New Hampshire is that we centralized IT a long time ago. So if you look at the NACIO top 10 priorities, you see consolidation, centralization is, a, is in the top 10 theme. Um, but, but, you know, I certainly didn't put it in top 10 because it's been over a decade that um, IT has been centralized. Um, so that, that put us in a different position than, than potentially other states. And, and, but what I felt when I joined in to, um, April 2015 was that we really hadn't evolved um, our, our organization and our strategy and all of that much over the, pre- the previous decade. Uh, and so we were really, we were viewing our IT role through what I thought was an antiquated lens. Um, so one, the first thing I did is start talking about, not talk about technology, talk mm-hmm. about people, people and process. Um, uh, we, I, I saw far too much transactional thinking um, elevating the role of IT, one of the themes that I, I speak to my team about almost continuously, and I use it as a contextual, um, a contextual statement, is um, elevate D, uh, Department of Information Technology, elevating DOIT. And we do that by through business relationship management. We do that through performance management inside our organization to make sure everybody's performing at their highest level. We do it through organizational development. How do we act? What sort of training are we giving people? What sort of culture are we promoting inside DOIT? Um, the other thing I changed immediately was my role. Um, um, I don't, my, my predecessors, I felt like they, they hid in their office a little bit and they weren't very accessible. And so, hence, uh, because of that, they were misunderstood. So I get out continuously. I'm always in front of um, state leaders, um, trying to talk to them about what they care about, understanding the business of the state, um, and helping them understand what we're doing and, and, and building those collaborative relationships. So those are some of the things that we've, that we've been working on over the past three and a half years or so. We'll take a short break now. Our guest today is Dennis Goulet, Commissioner at the Department of Information Technology and Chief Information Officer at the State of New Hampshire. You're listening to Ask the CIO SLED Edition 
on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn. Federal News Radio is now Federal News Network. Welcome back to Ask the CIO Sled Edition on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn, and my guest today is Dennis Goulet, Commissioner at the Department of Information Technology and CIO at the State of New Hampshire. Dennis, before the break, we were discussing your, your organization. And why don't we talk, tell us a little bit about it in, in terms of your, your budget, your size of your organization, et cetera. When you look at uh, centralized models around the, um, around the country, there are various funding mechanisms that are used um, to, to fund IT. Um, in our case, I have no general funds whatsoever, and I have most of the funding mechanisms in place that you would potentially see um, in other states. So the, we have a shared service model uh, for infrastructure, and that's billed out by, um, you know, billed out to the agencies by PC count. As a as a as a, div- a divisor there, um, we also have a direct funding model. So those folks who are doing who are business analysts or project managers or um, or IT leaders, developers inside of our state organizations, they actually sit in the orgs. They're part of my org, but they sit inside the building, whether it's Department of Safety, Department of Transportation, HHS, and that funding model is billed directly to them, salary, to the agency's salaries and benefits. And we also have a revolving fund uh, that, that's a non-lapsing revolving fund that we use to fund our, um, our wide area networks, our, our metro fiber and our, and our statewide wide area networks that connect everything up. So we really have a, a, a variety of funding models. And what we strive to do with funding is align the model to the actual usage and consumption so that it's understandable by the agencies. Um, in terms of t- size of budget, I think this year my uh, adjusted authorized budget is around $92 million. That's, that's IT spend that passes directly through my budget. There's probably about another $100 million of IT spend that I have authority over but doesn't pass directly through my budget um, that, that is, sits inside agency budgets as well. Um, as my organization, uh, Direct Employees, is close to 400 people. But we always are operating about a 10 or 12 percent vacancy rate. It's fairly hard to recruit good technical talent into state government uh, for for reasons that I'm sure you've heard uh, before. So we're we're always operating under a pretty high vacancy rate. Um, and I have um, you know I have a number of directors that report direct to me who are also appointed positions for your appointments. So. And that's typical inside agencies in New Hampshire, where you have a commissioner, you might have a deputy commissioner, and then some directors that are all appointed positions. I see. Now, I noticed that New Hampshire has an IT council. A, 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 do you call your department do it, the acronym? Some people call it that. Yeah. I don't particularly like that, but, <laughs> but a lot of people do call it that. And yeah. it, it has, it's kind of catchy, you know, it's action-oriented, yeah. but for some reason I, I haven't loved that, but, but, it, but people do um, call it do it. And um, the IT Council is, is really a good institution. It's, it's in law, it's the, the, um, the enabling legislation that created DOIT is um, RSA 21 R. And in 21R, it specifies the, the IT council's role and its makeup. It, and it, it, the council itself includes commissioners or their designates from key, key organizations in the state, as well as some legislators, private sector individuals, folks from education, 
city government and county government. And what we we do um, with the council is um, we really use that as our uh, policy and strategy development mechanism for IT in the state. Um, they're under 21 RSA 21R. Um, it reads, in consultation with the IT council, IT, the Department of Information Technology can create and enforce policy. So really, I have the strength of law behind the IT council, and, uh, and it really is a powerful uh, organization, and, and we've really been um, using it as a mechanism to, to drive policy and strategy inside the state in an intelligent and transparent way. Yeah, I, I agree. That's, that's how I used mine. Uh, I'm, I've always been fascinated by these types of organizations. You don't see too many of them around anymore uh, from my conversations with, uh, with your colleagues. I once gave a presentation at NASIO, I believe, although it might have been in California at one of the, one of the uh, local government uh, conferences, and I, had the, I gave it the provocative title, IT Advisory Councils, the composition of their membership, how to craft their jurisdiction, uh, how to make them productive, and how to make sure they don't become a pain in the butt. And I don't think I use the word butt. <laughs> uh, what's, what's, uh, without getting yourself in trouble, tell us about your, your, your uh, experience with the council. I, did, I was like you. I tried to use them to promulgate policies that sometimes I had a difficult time uh, getting, getting forward myself with the, uh, you know, the recalcitrant uh, bureaucracies. Well, that it really, I found it an effective tool, but it hadn't been used as one previously. In fact, my predecessors thought of it as a pain. Um, and so when I, when I was speaking to the commissioners, my fellow commissioners, about relaunching the IT council in a different way when I joined, they all kind of rolled their eyes and looked at me. And, <laughs> and one of them actually said, you know, well, why should we care? And I said, because we're going to make decisions that affect you in that meeting. And, 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 if, and if you don't feel like you need to go to that meeting, then I have failed. And so what we've been able to do there is people do feel they need to go to the meeting uh, because we are, again, making, making real policy. Some of the things that we've accomplished through the IT Council include the first ever um, you know, cybersecurity strategy for the state. Um, we... Uh, we did something that I was told was going to be impossible, which is a single uh, computer use policy for the entire executive branch of government. When, when I joined, we had multiple computer use policies, and they were all over the place. So, so you know, we've been able to get a lot done, and, and we continue to. Um, you know, the, the IT Council really gave a significant input into our strategy document, which you have seen. And you probably noticed has no technology in it whatsoever. It's all people and process and and and, and conceptual items. So, so really, I, I do find it to be a powerful and and I look at it as a positive uh, thing, a fun thing versus a um, you know a duty. The other thing we've noticed is members of the public have been showing up because it is a public meeting, and vendors are all showing up because sure. they want to know they want to know what we're doing so that they can sell to us. How often does it meet? Uh, we meet quarterly, okay. and I try to be on a cadence where we review an item and maybe a draft in one quarter, and we ratify it in the next one. So we always keep moving that that you know that um, the team down the field on a continuous basis, on a quarterly basis. Now, and I assume you probably have a chairperson to kind of help coordinate things. Yes, yeah. in fact, the chair that's uh, sitting now is 
Lieutenant Colonel Woody Groton. He's the uh, CIO for the National Guard in New Hampshire. Um, we, we maintain a very close relationship with the Guard and our emergency management folks from a cyber perspective, but also having Woody's, you know, imprimatur um, as the chair of the IT council, I think is really helpful. I bet. Um, you know, you indicated earlier when you were discussing the reaction you got from some of your uh, direct reports about the IT council, and certainly uh, any of us that particularly have come from the private sector into a CIO position, you do get a, a lot of, uh, I shouldn't say you get a lot, but there's there's the resistance out there for some changes that we we all like to see when we come in new. Um, how did you, and I, I imagine you said you weren't involved too much with consolidation, but that always kind of raises the issue right off the bat. Uh, tell us a little bit more about how you address that, how your management style works with trying to make that kind of change management and cultural change that are so important. Well, I believe in giving everything you do context. And so the highest co level of context is citizen service, right? So if you look at our mission statement, it's in service to the citizens of New Hampshire which was a big change from our previous mission statement, um, which was identifying our value around um, serving the agencies themselves. So it's real powerful when you talk about um, if, if I have somebody configuring a router or making a strategic decision about an application or trying to make a decision about any of the many things we have to decide on every day, it's, well, would you, would you stand in front of the press and argue this um, in front of the press? Um, from a citizen service perspective. And if the answer is no, it probably isn't the right approach. And so when I talk to my team or any naysayers, um, you know, for a great example was the computer use policy. Uh, we had some agencies that wanted to let um, employees um, browse the internet and do personal things on their computers during breaks and lunchtime. And, um, you know, I, I said, no, <laughs> we're not doing that because that's money that our citizens entrusted us with that I don't think they would, you know, I don't, I don't think you would go in front of the press and argue this point. And the yep. truth was they wouldn't. So, so that kind of gives you an idea of how I, I approach that. Yeah, but they, also, you know, it's always in context, though. It has to be or else you can't, you can't win an argument. Sure. That, that kind of reminds me what they used to call the, the cover of the Washington Post test. If it, <laughs> If it shows up right. there. Yeah, right. With that, we're going to conclude our program today. A very interesting one. Nespa, that's for our French-Canadian listeners. I want to thank our guest today, Dennis Goulet, Commissioner at the Department of Information Technology and Chief Information Officer for the State of New Hampshire. And thank you all for listening. Content from this state and local program, which also includes curated news and original articles by yours truly and other more esteemed authors, is part of the recently expanded AskTheCIO.com. Hope you can join us again each Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time or listen to a podcast afterwards. Until then, bye for now. I'm John Thomas Flynn. You've been listening to Ask the CIO, SLED Edition with John Thomas Flynn on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.